Welcome to Women Igniting Change, the place to be for women leaders and decision makers who are passionate about changing the world and determined to act. I'm your host, Robin Jorgensen, former corporate executive, global speaker, and founder and CEO of Women Igniting Change. Let's dive in. Hey, hey, changemakers, welcome back to the Women Igniting Change podcast. I am Robin Jorgensen, your host. And today in the studio, I have with me Deshauna Wiggins. Deshauna is the CEO of the Albany Black Chamber of Commerce and Social Club, which is creating a platform and curating space for Black and minority businesses in the capital region of New York, which is home for both of us. Prior to that, she spent over a decade as a communications executive and director of courtroom operations for the city of Atlanta, where she was responsible for the daily courtroom operations and communication for the city's DUI division. She's won numerous awards and most recently was nominated and into the Power 50 list for the Albany Business Review. So Deshana, congratulations on that. Thank you. That's incredible. So let's go ahead and dive right in. Awesome. So you and I were both in Atlanta at the same time, but didn't know each other at the time. Moved back, right? So can you share what sparked your decision to leave an established career in Atlanta return home to Albany to lead the Albany Black Chamber of Commerce and how a conversation you had with your guidance counselor at mm-hmm. Albany High a thousand years ago yeah. informed that decision. Awesome. Well, thank you. First, let me say thank you so much for the privilege of being here with you today to talk about myself as well as the Albany Black Chamber of Commerce. I'm really excited. So thank you, Rob. Um, But to answer that specifically, uh, I'll start with the conversation with the guidance counselor. I attended Albany City School District K through 12, even when, and I probably shouldn't put it on record, but (laughs) we moved out to the suburbs right outside of Troy and I refused to go to school there. I told my parents, listen, (laughs) I'm going to school in Albany. Okay, I don't want private school. I don't want anything else. I'm used to this area. Um, And so they told me this is the Great Point Average. You must maintain. And if you do that, that's fine. Uh, And luckily my dad is an educator. So it was easy. It was an easy sell. Uh, So I went to Albany High School and I was privileged enough to have a guidance counselor of color. Her name was Kim Baker. And and she, uh, I, I grew very close to, I am one of those, I have big wit, big charm, great smile, I think. (laughs) And <laughs> Thank you. I went people over pretty easy. And so this guidance counselor was no different. Um, she really just inspired me. She pushed me. Uh, all the AP courses I did not want to take, she really encouraged me to do so. Um, and I was happy to have people outside of my family, but in the education system, really see that potential in me and pull it out of me, even when I didn't want to, when I became complacent or just kind of wanted to fit in. Um, I was constantly pushed to be my best self. And um, my guidance counselor was no different. And so when we started to have the discussions about where I would go to school, um, I mean, probably like everyone my age at that time, we were trying to get out of here. It was, we're going to this school, that school. And so she was okay with that. She said, listen, that's fine. Get out of this area, learn, grow and learn. Um, But when I told her it was a, I'm leaving and never coming back conversation. And she asked me why it was like, what, what about this area? Uh, Don't you want to return to, I know your family is here. Um, and you seem to be doing well. I was class president. I was on all the clubs, uh, theater club, um, journalism. So uh, I was a pretty active student and she didn't understand why I didn't want to use that activism in my area. 
And I just told her, I said, Ms. Baker, I don't see who I want to become here, you know, outside of being in the healthcare industry, working for the state government. So, um, yeah, I, I let uh, my guidance counselor know, you know, there's a lot that I want to do, but I don't think that I see it or I have access to that. I knew that I wanted to work in communications, possibly PR. Um, I just had a lot of skills and talent and I just didn't see who I wanted to be. You know, this industry in Capital Region, it's very heavy on the public sector. So if it's not uh, state government wise, if it's not healthcare, if it's not education or a little bit in the tech and energy, um, it really isn't a huge enterprise here. And I knew I didn't really want a job in either of those industries. Unfortunately, though, but fortunately, I ended up doing that when I went to Atlanta. Um, but I didn't see that representation here. Um, I did not see black women being CEOs and owning, you know, quarter corner offices um, and enterprising their business. And so I knew I needed to leave here. But the conversation at the time was I'm leaving and I'm not coming back. I'll come back. I'll see my family. It'll be great. But I have no desire in coming here. And so she told me it would take young people like me with all the talent, um, with all the charisma and all the ambition to come back to this area to actually be the representation of what they didn't have, right? To give back in that way. Um, she told me if I was waiting on someone else to come and save the day, that it wasn't going to happen. So it was something that stuck with me. Um, it still did not prohibit me from leaving and staying away for 16 years, but it stuck with me. Uh, and it stuck with me in a way that I knew once I left here that my journey would have to lead me back to this area so that I could do the very thing that I'm privileged to do today, um, which is to lead this uh, Chamber of Commerce and Social Club. So it was always a part of my plan to figure out what that industry was, to figure out in which ways um, that I could contribute. So I've had the beautiful privilege of working under three mayors, all of them, all of which were black. Uh, and my last post before coming was still with city government in Atlanta. And I worked for a female black judge. Um, and so I've had, like I said, the privilege of working around a demographic that was that mirrored who I was. Um, and I didn't get to see that here. Um, although the capital region is a diverse place, it is still mostly white male led. Uh, and um, white men are great. You know, they've kind of set up the enterprise for this here country. Um, but there are other people here and they have so much to offer and add to the conversation. And so if we don't put them in places of leadership, if we don't give them no, those opportunities, then we'll see more or less the same what we've always seen. And so I knew how important that was um, for this region. And I was really excited once I heard about this opportunity. Um, I told my good friend who went to Morehouse College, which sat on the same campus as me, I was at Clark Atlanta University, and uh, we just daydreamed. We daydreamed about how do we take what we're learning here, what we're seeing here, and bring it back to our hometown. And um, he came first, <laughs> and I told him, listen, you, you, you lay the ground where you do the groundwork, uh, you find that one thing. And so he likes to say it definitely took me about 12 to 15 years to figure it out and to get it together. But once I you know, heard about this venture, I knew it was something. So it was easy. Once I came, I think I came um, January 2022 is when he called. Uh, mm -hmm. I came to visit this university club at the time uh, in February. And by May, I had already, by, excuse me, by July, I had already moved. So um, I was really excited. I knew this was the thing that would really catapult and change the narrative of Black business in this area. Love that. 
So you've talked about the importance of showing up authentically and leading from that place. Yeah. Tell me how leading with authenticity is going to inform the way that you shape the ABCC. I don't think it's going to inform it in all the ways. Um, quite often, and, and I say this too, and I, a lot of times I try to get ahead of the conversation. I am a part of the older millennial crew. Um, and so we have a very different approach, you know, rules and regulations in terms of corporate <laughs> style um, for our generation has kind of gone out the window, right? Mm-hmm. We want to uh, want to do things the way we want to do them. And while not taking away from the tradition and the, the, the traditional style, um, I think there there is a space where we can add to it. And I had, again, a privilege of working for three black mayors and where you would think things would be buttoned up. Atlanta is the hub of entertainment and music and movies. So I kind of had, you know, um, mixes with those type of industries. And so it was a little relaxed with the style of uh, Mm -hmm. still running the city. Right. And I knew that in order to, really be effective. People want to know who you are. They don't want a copycat of what they've seen. They don't want you to be another version of who already exists. And luckily for me, I've always been very comfortable being myself. I've had, uh, I was raised in a blended family. Um, And so I was what I like to think the star of the show all the time. (laughs) Um, And so it wasn't, um, it was very natural for me to just have the mindset of just be the leader, be who you are. Um, And I just always knew that staying authentic to that would lend the results. If I'm here trying to be um, a leader that I saw in Atlanta or trying to replicate everything that they've done, then it's, I'm going to miss the mark. Um, I have the privilege of being from this area. So I understand the culture here. I understand the neighborhood and the environment. Um, I know what's missing. I know what it has. Um, but then I've also had the privilege of seeing other enterprises in different cities. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if I try to not work from those lenses, if I don't pull uh, those two things together and match it with my personality and be me, then it defeats the purpose, right? So use everything that you have, um, the way that you have it to their best advantage. Yeah. And I think, you know, you showing up authentically gives others permission to do the same. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I have been in several rooms where I literally just ended a meeting today um, where one of a very powerful um, banking industry leader, you know, said, you are incredibly contagious. Like, it's just something about you, right? Like, I want to come back. I want to hear more. I want I want to learn more. And I think that is, uh, you know, the impression that I want to leave. When people want to engage with you and know who you are um, and know what you have going on, that keeps them coming back. It keeps them wanting to, to learn more and, and be activated more. And so um, luckily I was just blessed with all the things (laughs) Um, to be able to do that and and, and still learning, you know, along the way. What I what I love about myself is that I am open. I am open to being corrected, um, lovingly corrected. I am open to um, I call myself a sponge. I take in all the information I, you know, eat the meat, spit out the bones. Right. You know, so I take what works for me and what I what I know will work for this organization and setting it up um, and I use it. Mm-hmm. So you've said that you want the ABCC, I, I love this so much, to be a place of action for entrepreneurs to level up their businesses, for professionals to attend networking events, and a social club where people can gather over food, music, art, and conversation. Yeah. Why is that unique 
combination is so important? Because it doesn't exist. Mm. It doesn't exist in this region. And it's the very thing that everyone asks for, right? When health professionals come to this area because they're recruited by our top hospitals or uh, professors are recruited to come and teach in our areas, they say, well, where do, where do you all go to have a good time? Like, where do you eat? Where are the people hanging out? Where do I go meet? Single people. I mean, singlehood is a, it's a huge percentage right now. So they're like, where do you go and meet people? Where do you, what do you do? Um, right. And with the exception of the restaurants here, um, there's the mall, which we know is a dying entity. <laughs> there right. is um, there isn't any cultural club for for us. When I came back home, and even before then, but now I'm paying more attention. There are several VFW polls, none of which are black owned. There are um, every cultural club, Italian community club over in Troy, the Jewish um, club, uh, I believe that's in Colony. There's every cultural club there. Does There's never been anything that has existed for us. Um, and so it is really important when you think about business and how people get together to do business, they do that on the golf course. They do that over a meal. They do that when they're being social. Our culture and our uh, demographic of folks as well often don't align themselves in business with others unless they feel comfortable. So if there's no environment created for that, then everyone is working in silos. So if you're in an environment where you are not comfortable, right? If you are, you know, there's a lot of entities that exist here and I hear it all the time. Like, (laughs) well, we have this going on, right? We have these social clubs and we have these groups. And when I walk in the room and I'm the only one, That's a problem, right? It's a problem because people want to be in spaces with other people that look like them. Of course, we have the same interest, right? Our health, our family, our money. Those are big topics and we want to make sure that we um, are uh, in control of that as much as possible and and can protect that. Um, But it's a difference when you're the only person of color there because then the conversation gets a little different. You're you're answering uh, on behalf of your race versus on behalf of you, your business. And so I think a lot of times, um, you know, if those environments aren't created, uh, then that's when we have issues. What's funny is, and this might be a tangent, but DEI and BIPOC, a lot of these acronyms, um, I can fortunately say that I was completely ignorant to. It's not that I didn't know that these concepts existed, uh, that these programs were important. I just lived in a demographic where we didn't have to highlight it because everyone looked like us. Right. It's a special privilege to have, right? Um, and especially as a Black woman, because we don't normally have that. Uh, so coming to a space where Every single organization, whether nonprofit, corporate, government, everyone has this DEI division and this BIPOC division, and it's full of people of color. And I'm like, I don't think that that's literally what it should be meant for. We understand what it's like to be diverse. (laughs) We understand the equity that doesn't exist. We, We get that. It is actually courses for everyone else, you know, to, to attend and be a part, um, and to learn and to grow. And so, um, that is, I'm not going to say the thing that I want to take away, but I I want to just add to those conversations. I want to be a hub where people can come and feel comfortable and engage. Um, 
and and to have leaders in different industries come to speak to that, whether it's in finance, whether it's in taxes and accounting, whether it's in, you know, whatever industry it is, having representatives of color respond to that because culturally they're just going to have that connection and understand and be able to speak specifically to that, which is why socially and professionally those things go hand in hand and we've got to create environment for it. Yeah. So you've talked about how you want to extend opportunity over charity. Can you share a little bit more about that? Yes, I can. I love getting asked this question because I think in this particular area, um, it's like nonprofit haven, right? Everyone has an organization. And I think that's really, really good. Um, the issue is that if we continue to focus on the charitable um, uh, aspect of it and we're not putting enough investment into the the wealth building um, idea of it, then what happens is that organization that asked you for $5,000 in March is going to ask you for that same $5,000 in, in May, right? Um, and so if we're giving out charity um, and not giving out the actual information and the tools and the methods to which they can get themselves out of that, um, then we're really just repeating the cycle. You know, we're checking, we're ticking the boxes. You know, I know that's a, a big conversation, you know, as well of, you know, let's have this DEI statement. Let's have these clauses to say that we're checking the boxes and we're doing that. But if we're not actually doing the work and, and we're just concerned about ticking the box, then nothing really happens. And so uh, I've really, um, you know, noticed here that there are several nonprofits that do the same thing. And I'm like, where, why are we not working together? You know, because I think it's the root causes and issues. Correct. Correct. Because if we, and collaboration is a huge thing and I will repeat it in every interview at any time that I'm asked, because I know how important it is. If, if everyone wants to do the same thing, but they're doing it individually, you're competing for the same money. You're competing for the same thing. And it doesn't make, it, it doesn't get uh, the pendulum to swing in the right direction. It doesn't push the needle forward. And so I am interested in the collaboration mindset. I know that I might be good at this, but you're really great at that. Let's put those things together. Let's figure out how to collaborate, how to co-brand, because at the end of the day, the mission is what we want accomplished. Um, if we're focusing so much on who is doing it, then we get away from actually getting it done. I'm focused on setting up this enterprise so that it lasts far beyond my earthly years, right? So my children's children's children will have a space to go to um, that they can say, my great great grandmother, you know, set this up with me in mind to continue um, to continue on. And I know that I can't do that alone. I, you know, as talented as I am, right? And as um, as I have uh, the information that I've gotten over the years. Um, I can't do it alone. I, there's still things that I don't know. There's still markets that, you know, I'm not the expert on. And so I have to co-collaborate with other businesses and organizations to do it together. So I, I um, you know, I, I caution people when we're talking about the charity space. It's not to say that we need to eradicate it and charity doesn't need to exist. That's not what I'm saying. We absolutely need those efforts together because children are hungry. They don't have you know, the right things or whatever the particular mission is. They're still needed. But if we could be clever and innovative enough to figure out how to pull together, I think we get those service needs met quicker. And then we provide more opportunity for people to set up businesses so yeah. that those those that percentage of the need lessens. 
Yeah. So what are some of the biggest challenges that you face as a leader in establishing those equitable business opportunities for the BIPOC community in the greater capital region? Um, I would say the biggest challenge is, or a couple of them, the first thing is vision, right? People cannot conceptualize what they don't see. So this idea of um, this chamber existing, merely it's, you know, it's been said to me, and I think um, not an offense, but literally as a question of why do you all need a chamber? Um, And so it's like, well, for the same reason, most counties or most cities would need them, right? Uh, we're setting up these business enterprises. We want to make sure that they're communicating with each other um, and that we're sourcing a hub for that information to um, profit and benefit your business. Uh, and, and nothing changes the conversation just because our focus is Black and minority businesses, right? We're trying to do the same thing. What we're in a space of um, is, I think, the oldest um, chamber in this region. It's got to be about a, a little over 130 years old, and that's the Capital Region Chamber, um, who has done a great job in, in setting an enterprising businesses here. Um, but if it's not reflective of the entire community, uh, right. then that is where we're coming. And it's like, oh, I see the people on the street, but they're not looking like the leaders, um, you know, who exist. And so that's the gap that we're trying to close. Right. Uh, and, and we're the third iteration of a black chamber in this area for the very reasons of not having the proper investment and support, not being able to get the programming off the ground. And so, uh, luckily before I was even chosen, there were leaders here, you know, um, wealthy leaders here, uh, those who are in the industries that could help and contribute and invest in something like this. And so now I get the privilege of kind of taking the mantle and and carrying the message. Um, But it is important because this area is not going to survive without diversity really being on the forefront without black and brown businesses being able to thrive. When you look at other countries, you're Mm -hmm. seeing that demographic change, right? I was just talking to friends of mine who are over in Dubai um, and they're living full time. And I'm like, who would have thought that black people would just be in Dubai? (laughs) Like, you know, Uh, and and these hubs are, and, and the economy is also tripling because of that. So it tells me that in order for an area to exist, it has to embrace diversity. It has to embrace, um, businesses, um, of all colors and, and, and backgrounds, uh, in order to really thrive. 35%, almost 40% of our population in this area is 65 and above. And 30% 30% of the population in the capital region is under 18. So we're missing that middle demographic of right. folks who are enterprising, right? Who are innovating, who are setting up business. Um, I'm collaborating with all of the universities and colleges and um, post um, education programs to have internships and apprenticeship programs come out of here because retention is what is needed. There's no reason why graduates of RPI, UAlbany, Sage, St. Rose, I mean, the list goes on, right? Hudson Valley are leaving this area to find opportunity when we need it right here. So I want to be able to capture them and, and, um, be able to relay the message that this area is a viable place to put that investment, um, to put their time and talent in, in grow that enterprise so that people want to move here. People are, you know, passing on their businesses to their children here mm-hmm. and they're doing that, uh, in my community. Love that. So can you share with our listeners some of the specific programs or initiatives 
that you will be implementing to inspire Black entrepreneurship and economic development? Awesome. Yes. Where our pillars, we have four pillars, and they focus on advocacy, uh, access to capital, contracting opportunities, and entrepreneurship. Um, and so a lot of our programming will be under those four pillars. Um, and we can include in that the social um, aspect to it, the networking opportunities. Uh, the biggest thing that we are finding is that, especially on the small business scale, is that people are having issues with accessing capital. And a lot of times it's because not that the banks, not, okay, so this is kind of a two devil. <laughs> it's not that there isn't systemic racism in the making process. And a lot of times businesses who are able to um, meet the qualifications are denied. But a lot of times uh the businesses, especially what I'm noticing around here, the small businesses, is that they're they're not at the capacity to even approach the banks. Right. Right. So they're still correct. They're still their QuickBooks is a notepad, right? Which works, right? However, <laughs> when you're asking specific yeah. information, it's difficult to be able to, to to keep that and have record of that. And so we're we're having our small businesses here. They're starting from the ground up, right? They're still working full time, sometimes two jobs, in order to actually get their business off the ground. So when you're doing that, you don't have the space or, or the capacity to really take the time to learn and, and, and be a part of your chambers or be a part of uh, the business organizations that can kind of help you. And so um, I'm getting the questions. I need some money. I need some money. Grants, loans, whatever it is. I need capital because I, I have the talent to do this um, and I really want to turn it into a business. Um, and that's another thing, too. There's a lot of talent here, but the talent is not translating to actual businesses, right? Businesses yeah. that are um, paying taxes, businesses that are scaling. Um, and so that's where I know initially we'll be having a lot of conversation about is what does a P&L mean? Right. What does whether the four C's of your credit. Right. Like what are these um, components that you must know about your business to actually set it up to be in a position to go to a bank and say, hey, this is you know, this is what I'm doing. and This is what I need assistance with. Um, you know, a lot of the bankers that I've been talking to say, yeah, we really want to help. The ideas are great. They're just not ready yet. And so I want to make sure on our small business scale that we're able to provide that information, that knowledge through workshops, through paneling, through seminars, um, uh, through our incubation um, pro you know, cohort that we'll be creating through our accelerating programs. We're going to really set up a lot of different, depending on where you are in business, right? Which is, I have an idea and I want to turn it into a business to, I've been in business for several years, but I can't seem to get over this hunch. Yeah. Uh, and so I want to be able to have programming that will speak to wherever our business owners are now and be able to scale them up. That's incredible. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. So how, the chamber, how do you work with existing businesses and leaders in the capital region to foster a more inclusive and equitable business environment as a whole? So our membership will be opening in September. So I've I've been privileged enough to just be having programming to get the community out, get the business community mm -hmm. out, um, to get feedback from them on what they're needing, which is how I answered the last question. This is a lot of what we're developing is based on simple conversation, simple right. come out, let's talk and let's extend this conversation and see what's needed. I'm much more of a find out what's needed, you know, use what I know to kind of set um, the template. Um, 
but you're not effective if you really don't know the issues. And so I've been taking this year since being um, on staff to really to ask those hard questions and to get the best framework to, for developing it. Um, but to ask me the last part of that question again. <laughs> yeah. So how are you working with the existing businesses and leaders in the capital region to foster a more inclusive and equitable business environment? Yes. So how I've been doing that is um, when I get to meet with the business community that are not necessarily um, black owned or, uh, or black led, um, I'm often asked very specific and like, how exactly do we help? What are, you know, what are we missing? You know, where we, we set up this program, but it doesn't seem when we get the data, it's not really being effective. Um, and so my thing is really just bridging those gaps, right? I think a lot of time, if you go to a majority white organization and they're wanting to be inclusive and do programming, um, yet the vendors that they use are not of color. Uh, the spaces that they go to are not of color. So they're they're on to something, right? Um, but there's gaps and missing in, in how to bring it together. I think the chamber will be that that middle ground of bringing those conversations where people come and feel safe. They feel safe enough to open yeah. up and to be able to foster those relationships. Um, and then really just being able to speak to specific points with data. I think a lot of times um, we're just... Based, oh, I heard or I had a conversation or I think I know, um, but the data doesn't really support that. And so when I'm having conversations with these organizations and they hit me with something, I said, well, actually, the data says X, Y and Z. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and so it's like, huh, send me that. Right. And so we are sparking that conversation and they're getting more invested and involved because they're getting information. Um, and so that that's really how we're fostering these relationships now by just filling in the gaps um, and how we see us moving in the future by just setting up uh, based on these conversations, these seminars, these workshops, based on those things, really staying fluid enough um, and open enough to allow, um, you know, the adjustment that needs to be made. Mm -hmm. I mean, it sounds like through those conversations, you're inviting them to look at their entire ecosystem through a new lens. Absolutely. Which is desperately needed. So yeah. that's incredible. Absolutely. In what ways do you think the chamber is contributing or will contribute to societal transformation in Albany and potentially beyond? Oh, man, I think it's going to <laughs> it's going to change the narrative for sure. Um, the capital region, and I feel like it literally dawned on me today, has never seen um, a black owned and run operation like this. And it's apparent when I get the questions, it's apparent when it's, you know, it's like, I don't get it. I don't see it. What's happening? Um, and so I think it's going to, for our community, certainly um, just change the narrative. We won't have the conversation of, I don't know where to go get this information. I don't know, you know, how to be, I don't, that will cease and it'll cease quickly because it will be the place where people say, oh, have you gone to Albany Black Chamber? Do you know about the chamber? It's, that is how. Um, quickly, I want this to come off people's tongues, right? Like if you don't know, if you're, and, and not just for people of color, but business period. Um, I, uh, 
my degree was in public relations and in PR and marketing. And so I've always had kind of the bigger vision, the broad view, the stand back and look and see how this can be effective. And so I approach this as being uh, on, on a national platform and then working backwards. It's kind of like when people say they go to their hometown and they're necessarily not embraced, right? Until they do something somewhere else. Um, I did the things other places. I was in support roles there. Now as a leader here, I have been fully embraced. I will say by my hometown. However, I understand that in order to make the organizations or businesses here that may not get it understand is to get national um, collaboration, right? National attention. Um, and then that way it's like, okay, I don't know what they're doing, but they're doing something. How do we get involved? Right. Um, so that is, that's what I'm doing. We had, uh, meetings with the legislative, uh, black caucus, um, a couple of months ago. Um, and they were very active in the building when it was the university club. And so they're like, oh, if this opportunity for us to stay here, to host our meetings here still exists, we're open to it. I've had conversation with bigger brands who are looking to expand their footprints um, in different cities. And this and this is the capital region. And that's really the biggest point. I, you know, I like to make is that New York City is often the famed New York City city <laughs> that um, people think is where the action happening. But Anything that happens as it relates to the state literally happens about 20 steps away from uh-huh. right. The business of New York happens in Albany. Yeah. And when you come here, you don't necessarily know that or even feel that. Uh, and I want to make sure that when people come to this region, black, white or otherwise, they know that this is the capital. They know that this is a place that you would want to come to to live, work, play, raise family um, and that there is a future here. You know, a future that um, doesn't that they don't feel like they need to run from. <laughs> they don't have you know, to get away, you know, to, to, to I can't have that success because this demographic is X, Y or Z. Right. It's not this. It's not that. And I'm not necessarily looking to be a copycat of any other city. But I think there's so much we can learn from those cities um, mm-hmm. and, and incorporate in our culture here. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I, I've always seen this as a as a national entity. Um, and I know that the collaboration. I know that the work that we'll do here will bring those collaborations about and, um, you know, it will be the start of conversations. It will end a lot of what doesn't exist and it'll be and it'll start to be with you have to go there or you have to connect in order to do anything in the city. I'm going to be bold enough to say that. (laughs) I love that. Um, So, as you said, you're heading up your creating a pretty high national standard mm-hmm. in your vision for the Albany Black Chamber of Commerce. What are some of the core principles or strategies that you believe other organizations can learn from what you are doing? I think the biggest thing is to think as big as you can, right? Uh, and, and then work your, your plan back from that. Let's engineer it from there. Yeah. And you engineer it from there. So what are what is your wildest dream? Um, I had a conversation um, with BFG's um, CEO, Jack King Hoke, which was my friend. We grew up together. And um, one of the things that one of the points he said very early on, and I was just like, OK, that's a lofty goal. But when I thought about it, especially with my vantage point being in Atlanta, working um, for the city and seeing it happen, he said, I want a hundred Black millionaires making a hundred million dollars by the time we're done with this. And I said, okay, that sounds very lofty. And that sounds quite like quite high. But when you think about it, it's still not 
maybe 10 or 20 percent of the 64 billion dollars that comes through this region every year. Right. So it's still not even right comparable to that. So it's like, no, that actually is possible, you know, so that's been kind of our benchmark that we're going to stand up these businesses um, so that they can stand up other businesses yeah. in this, and we create that entire ecosystem. So I would tell any organization to think as big as you can and to collaborate. We have to work together. This does not work. And that's across the racial divide. That's across mm-hmm. industry divide. We have what we need. We've just got to do it together. Mm-hmm. Um, when we talk about folks getting up, getting nervous, right? If I give you a piece of my pie, then I have less pie. The thing about that is that you're assuming that I want your cherry pie and I hate cherries. I like strawberry rhubarb. Okay. I want that pie. You know, I love sweet potato pie. Like we don't have to have the same pie, but we get the opportunity to create more pies so that I'm not taking anything from you. You're investing in me, standing me up so that you can have more of what you like and I can get more of what I like. That is the mindset that I would love to see in this region and for it it to catch like wildfire, because once it does, it will be very easy for things to, you know, the, the barriers to the barriers of entry of business will be lessened if we really collaborate. So have big vision and collaborate with each other to, to reach those goals. Incredible. So how do you measure the success of the chamber? What are some of the key indicators that will tell you the organization is making a difference? Um, once I open this membership and people are flooding in here because they know they need it and not just right at its opening and inception, but every year our numbers are increasing, right? With the exception of another national pandemic or anything, <laughs> global rather, pandemic. Right. Uh, or epidemic or anything like that, I want to see our membership increasing. Um, what I know and why the social component is so important is that we do things that we admire in other people. So if my friend is doing well in business and I want to start something, what are you doing? Because it seems to be working for you, right? And so it catches on like that. That social vouch goes such a long way. And so I know to be able to to measure that is by increased membership. Um, but then also the successes of our members, our member businesses, right? When they said, I started here, but in 13 months or 18 months or however long, um, I'm now here and now I'm creating opportunity for the next person. That's again, my whole goal is you stand it up, but we've got to make this thing reciprocal. We've got to make this thing uh, ecosystem. So now that you're set up, you're handing on that information and knowledge to someone under you, um, someone in a different city who may be looking to expand their business, but that information is traveling and it's trickling. So that's, that's what I believe will be our basic measurement in terms of, you know, recording our success for the first couple of years. I love that. So in your opinion, how can we as a society, capital region or nationally, better support and encourage BIPOC entrepreneurship on a larger scale? Invest in it, right? And when I say invest in it, yes, your time, your talent, and your treasure. It is not easy. I'm in a 40,000 square foot building, Robin, as you see. (laughs) It is a lot we're trying to do, and it is a lot we're trying to accomplish. And I don't... um, I welcome all support. Don't get me wrong, but I don't need a pat on the back. And, oh, this is good. I need actual investment. Mm-hmm. If it is as good as you're saying or feeling or think, support put it. your money into, you know, put your time and your actual talent right into these things. 
Perhaps maybe you're in a position where you don't have a lot of capital, but you have a lot of social capital, right? Connect your, which is what I really value about Business for Good, who were the initial investors into the Albany Black Chamber. We're in uh, a building that they're owning and, you know, we've set it up so that we're able to purchase that when we're in a position to do it from them. Um, but they they didn't owe us anything. They thought, you know, they would have supported programming, but they really wanted to start us off and start us off strong. So to purchase a building and to put the entire organization in that building, that's investment, right? And to say in what other ways we can support you and not just doing that, but when the co-founders say, hey, I know someone who's in this industry who can help you with your audio visual, or I know someone who can do your security, or I know it is that social connection that help us, you know, really get off the ground. So in whatever way is tangible, you certainly do that. But investment is the biggest piece. We've got the time, we've got the talent. Um, but unfortunately, due to systemic racism and various other things, we're unable to get across that threshold. So mm-hmm. a lot of times capital is certainly necessary to, uh, you know, to get us there. So certain investment. <laughs> Got it. So as a female leader in this space, mm-hmm. what advice would you give to other Black women looking to make a significant social impact in their own communities like you are? Um, remain authentic and true to your passion. Mm-hmm. I think that ha- is what has worked so well for me is that I'm doing the work that I I didn't know I wanted to do, but I'm having the effect and I'm creating the relationships that I absolutely always wanted to. And so while I was talking to that guidance counselor at what was that, 15 years old, 16 years old, I didn't know what I wanted to be, but I knew the impact that I wanted to have. Um, And so this is now the vehicle for me to do it in this phase of my life. And so I think when you when you chase that passion and when you set yourself up to be kind of the expert matter in what that is, you do yourself a, a great service in, in the long terms. A lot of us work jobs we don't really like, we don't care for, but we we have to make a living. Um, right. But I say if you can make a living doing the thing you're most passionate about, it's going to speak for itself. It's going to do the work. itself. You have to do the work, but it will be much easier and it, it, it will have more impact for you and for others if, if you do that. So um, follow that, follow that, that thing that speaks to you. And then also don't be afraid to be in the room. Um, you know, yeah, don't be afraid to be in the room again. You know, it, these are conversations I'm having now and, and I and I hear it so much with people where it's like, oh, I decided to do this or I changed that or I, you know, because I wanted to make sure I wasn't um, singled out. I had wonderful parents who allowed me to be all of me, right? Loud, boisterous, witty, whatever it was, they allowed that. And and I went to school in an environment that allowed that, you know? And so I, I had, again, the privilege of being raised in that environment. I think it works for me now because when I'm the only Black female CEO in a sea of meetings that are with white men, right. yes, I noticed the difference. But I'm so authentically myself and I know what I'm speaking about because I'm passionate and I've done the work. I know who I'm trying to assist and help. Um, and and I don't allow me being all of who I am to be a detractor. Right. Um, I know a lot of times, especially black women, we, we feel like we need to change our hair. We need to do, you know, these things to to just fit in and not stick. 
I'm okay with sticking out. Like I really, really am. And and that may not be everyone's um, deal. And I understand that. But if you could learn to be okay with that, because if you're not okay with it, they won't be Mm -hmm. right. If you're not comfortable being yourself, then you, they will constantly be on a, well, maybe you should. I don't think I leave space for anyone to tell me to change my hair. (laughs) I don't don't leave space for that. I change it every few weeks because that's me. You know, Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't, I don't, I, I, you know, I kind of, I move knowing that all of who I am will be accepted in any space that I go, wherever I'm go, I'm supposed to be. That's it. You know? Um, but I'm also wise enough to know that there's always something for me to learn. There's always something for me to take from it. Um, I will always be a work in process, meaning I, you know, whatever I held on to at 15 or 18, 21, for that matter, um, it may have to adjust. So I'm, I'm open, I'm flexible, right? But who I am at my car, core and how I show up is that. It's, it's not up for debate. It's not up. You know, I'll, I'll take whatever um, uh, if I feel like I need to say something, you know, and, and it may not go over well. I'll do it as professionally and respectfully as possible because that's how I want people to work with me. But it will be said, you know, and I think so often we've been in these environments um, where it's uncomfortable to do that. You don't want the, the backlash of what will happen. I think I've had the very specific life that I've had being around black leaders, literally my entire professional career, certainly. And then in even my own familial uh, environment when I lived in this area. So I've, I've never worried about, oh, I I might not be, I'm going to be a black woman to the day I die. There's nothing we could do about that. Right. So there's no point in trying to hide that, diminish it. No, I'm going to celebrate it and praise it, you know, um, in any room. And so I, you know, my, my biggest thing, you know, to folks is to, to really stay authentic and be okay with being who you are in each room. Right. Um, understand and navigate the conversation to get the result that you want um, and not maybe to always appease your emotions. Because I think mm-hmm. a lot of times, uh, especially uh, Black folks, Black women, you know, uh, we are marginalized, marginalized, marginalized. Uh, but we, because of that, we speak from our frustration. We speak from our emotion. And I think that is important, but it can get lost if you're in the boardroom meeting and you're not staying on top with with where that that conversation is going mm-hmm. so this is again be all of who you are be fiery be all of that but make sure you're channeling in that and then in the conversation where it can be accepted and effective because the whole point is again to get to the next point yes people may you know hear your heart but if it's not pressuring them or if it's not landing on them to change their behavior then we've just missed the mark you know yeah what do you think are some of the most important skills or attributes for leading an organization focused on social change? The biggest things I would say is visionary. Um, I'm probably going to repeat a lot of the same things. Because it's literally what I'm, uh, I'm going through. But being a, a visionary and, and, um, and in that understanding where your weaknesses are, um, because again, you can know a, a particular thing, but there's so many different things that affect that, right? Case in point, we are a C3, a C6, and a C7. We have a foundation, we have the chamber, and we have the social club. And right. so there's specific 
things in each entity that I'm good at, but I have a board of advisors for each of those entities that can advise on, okay, this is how this needs to go. Don't, you know, forget this, you know, and so things like that where you're, you know, you know what you know, but you may not know the whole um, process to get you there successfully. I say, you know, um, make sure that that collaboration. So have the vision, have the big vision for sure. Um, but the second thing would be being open to collaboration and being open to collaboration across those color lines. Of course, my goal is to promote black and brown business, um, which I will. Uh, but I understand that the state of that here in this region may not have the access and the entry to what I, what we ultimately need. So I'll have to cross that racial divide um, and, and incorporate those organizations and businesses. Um, my goal is to shape this region. Um, and I can't do that just being focused on Black business. I have to be focused on all business, right? Mm -hmm. And so figuring out how do I get my win and how do I um, elevate this company to, to work with me and also get their win. Um, so I always like to have three. What did I say? Visionary. I said collaboration and... What's the last one? Ask me the question one more time because it's going to come to me then. Yeah. <laughs> what are the skills or attributes for leading an organization that is focused on social change? Skills. So an uh, important skill for me, and I've learned, and I'm so glad I learned it early, is listening. I don't think... That's really good People listen to respond People do not listen to actually take the information and process it and and counter at that point. Um, I came here with law and then we're going to do this and this and this. And then when I realized, well, I, actually, they don't need this. They have that. You know, they don't. So if I'm constantly just responding because I'm trying to hit my points, I'm not actively listening. And as a leader, I think that's the most powerful thing you can do is to really listen, listen to those issues um, and and collaborate with them going back to that, collaborate with the staff and with the community and with whomever else um, is affected by what you're doing to really find the best course of action um, to take. But that has served me very well. It's just by listening to my advisors, to the business owners, to the community about what's missing, what what's needed. And it's up to me to kind of formulate the structure to, to meet those needs, um, but actively listening instead of just being ready with stats and responding. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Deshana, thank you so much. This has been an absolute joy. Oh, um, yeah. So for our listeners, we will have a link to the chamber membership, which will be opening up soon. And um, Deshana's information in the show notes. And we will see you back here next time. Take care, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to Women Igniting Change. I know creating change matters to you. If you enjoy what we talk about on the show, please take one action today and share it with someone who could benefit from listening. Until next time, keep standing up and speaking out for what matters.